Okay, guys, welcome back to Revive School. I'm glad you came back. James 2 is a lot, you know, faith and works without, uh, you get the whole picture here, without works, faith is dead. Whoa, wait, yes. James 3 is not short of controversy, let alone James 3, when you start getting into these pictures. In fact, <laughs> there are six images, you guys, in James 3 of, of the tongue. Six images about ways and illustrations about how our tongue impacts those around us. Now, I think this group would be the first to tell you, oh, no. <laughs> we had to repent yesterday of favoritism. Who knows what we're going to have to repent of today. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Warren Wearsby talks through the process of a mature Christian. And James 1, it's talking about being patient and persevering, right, in trouble. Right. In times of trial. James two, as we says, is talking about practicing the truth, living this thing out. And then in James three kind of takes this other whole picture of a mature Christian. Do you have the understanding of the power that comes from the, the tongue? Hey, Kevin. What's <laughs> Oh, Rich, I've already lost, man. I've already lost, man. Didn't do. Ugh. I told you. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, here we're going to get into this. This is kind of a cool, uh, it's a really unique chapter, you guys, because James 3, again, general epistle, written by the guy named James. <laughs> Not James the less, uh, but James the more. <laughs> uh, could be, possibly, uh, Jesus's half-brother, uh, James, who is also the brother to Jude. I just, I love thinking that it could be the family. James and then Jude, and we're going to get into the, at the end of the general epistles, the writer Jude. So it's a pretty powerful image. And James is writing to, uh, Rich, who's James writing to? He's writing to believers. I just wanted Rich to talk this lesson, that's all. So he's writing to believers, the Jewish believers, that are spread all throughout the land. And really it's because of possibly Acts 7, after the, the martyrdom of Stephen, says that they, had to, they, were, they were persecuted. And so in this process, James is saying, this is really important, guys, I need you to own up who you are in Christ, regardless of the trials, regardless of the tribulations, that will lead to the testing of the faith, that will lead to endurance, that will lead to looking more like Christ, and you cannot shy away. In fact, you need to actually display your faith to others. Don't play these games of showing favoritism to the rich or to the poor because they might actually end up persecuting you just so that you could experience comfort. Please don't compromise. I need you to embrace your walk with Christ. Not just your walk with Christ, but what do you say as well? That's your transition into James 3, verse 1. It says, not many uh, should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, this is interesting, okay? Because uh, it, Scripture is talking about how all of us should be teaching. You remember in Hebrews, Kevin? In Hebrews, it says this, if you'll go there, Kevin, Hebrews 5, says in verse 12, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. So in other words, what's happened is, is that sometimes the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, you should be growing in the Lord, but because you're not, you're not teaching, right? So what's interesting, he says uh, in verse 1 of James 3, not, not many should become teachers. Some of that is, is maybe because of their immaturity, because they cannot live out what they're teaching. And that's really what he's getting after. He says, you will receive a stricter judgment. So the things that I personally say, guess what? Scripture says, I will receive a stricter judgment if I communicate this, Kevin, and then I don't live it. This is what we're talking about, guys. This is what we're emphasizing. You need to 
Own up. And so the word of God, Warren Wearsby says it this way. I think the word, the tongue, okay, has the power to direct. Okay? And you'll see where I'm talking about this. The word of God has the power to direct. So yes, you will receive a stricter judgment. But let me just say this, okay? The stricter judgment has this mentality of, one, it's referring to future judgment. Okay? John MacArthur says it's for the unbelieving false teacher... Okay, at the second coming. Okay, that could be one of those thoughts. It could be the judgment is for the believer that when he's rewarded before Christ. That's two of the the thoughts behind the stricter judgment. Does that make sense? You're either an unbelieving false teacher, second coming. Well, I wouldn't want to mess with Christ at that judgment. Or you're a believer and you will lose certain rewards before Christ. Okay, clearly. Uh, this isn't meant to, and I like what MacArthur says, this isn't meant to discourage true teachers. Okay? But it is to warn the prospective teacher of the role and how serious this is. Let me just tell you this on Revived School. Uh, Kevin, this is our 47th book of 66 books. Uh, I would say we're probably 60 some lessons away from finishing 730 lessons. Uh, somebody asks me sometimes, why, why do you study so much? Why do you like engross yourself in each lesson? And let me, just hear you, let me just say this with notes. And when I say study, you guys, I'm studying commentaries from John MacArthur, Warren Wearsby, Tom Constable, uh, Kent Hughes, and then other commentaries that Tom helps provide for me. And then I read through the word and I ask the Holy Spirit. And why do I spend so much time? Because I want to do, uh, this sounds legalistic, it's not meant to. I want to do the best I can for each one of you. And there are some texts that I cannot, I just, I don't understand historical background. Like I don't, I don't always understand all of the Jameses that could be writing this. Does that make sense? And you could say, well, Kyle, you just need to read through the word. Yeah, but when people have gone before us and have done some of this, I want to learn that and then filter it with the Holy Spirit, just what it says in 1 John. And I want to take this seriously because I want you to be impacted uh, to keep your eyes on Christ. And like, I take this role very seriously. And I'll tell you the times that I don't, honestly, it's not because I don't care, it's because I'm tired. Like, that's what this thing comes down to is that like sometimes I think we become complacent. I think we get tired. I think we go weary. And then you just kind of just, ah, well, I'm not sure. So you just kind of just say it. And then sometimes it's just our flesh. (laughs) Our flesh just says things. But I want you to understand, like when you communicate the word of God, like if I ask some of you at Revive School, hey, it's your time to teach or, hey, guys, it's your time to come over here and teach. We get nervous, don't we? And I think some of it is because we don't think we're capable. The reality is it's totally capable through the Holy Spirit. You just need to know that you're supposed to take it serious. So not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive the stricter judgment. I, I take this as an honor to be called to do this. I, hopefully you guys see this. You guys are all teachers in this process. Scripture says, so look, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now in verse 2, for we all stumble. Remember, there's a power to direct with the word in our, in our tongues. We all stumble in many ways. That's the problem. I go home... <laughs> Uh, and I hang out with my four kids. I promise you hang out long enough with me. I probably won't say some things that I should say that I would say here. Not like swear words, but like quick temper or slow to speak or, you know, those kind of things. And you're like, oh, we're all going to stumble in many ways. So praise God. It says all of us are going to. If anybody does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man who is able to control his whole body. 
Um, Kevin, you, do you think that's hard to do? I think it's almost impossible. It's, it feels like James is kind of a little sarcasm there. This word stumble refers to sinning or offending God's person. Everybody continues to fail to do in what is right. That's really what it happens. And so here, look, when you don't stumble, he becomes a mature man. He's a mature man who's able to control his whole body. Ultimately, that is our goal. Ultimately, we want to be able to attempt, that's the key word, because we're always going to stumble, attempt to be able to control our, our thoughts and what we think and what's in our heart comes out. But then there's this whole endurance going through these things in order to look more like Christ. I think it's obvious nobody is perfect. Nobody is immune from sinning from his tongue. But your ultimate goal is for you to not say things. Like I love saying to my kids, I'll say something and then they just say something like, why did you say that? I don't know. It just comes out. Sorry. <laughs> right. We're kind of all there in in so many in so many regards. And and that's what it says in verse three. And just so you know, like <laughs> I have a list of all of the issues with our tongue, <laughs> like of all of these verses. Let's just try a couple, Kevin, shall we? Uh, let's go to Psalm 34, verse 13. Okay, Psalm 34, verse 13. I think you'll just see, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. In other words, it's almost like it's just sitting there waiting to spew evil, <laughs> right? I mean, keep your tongue from these things because why? Because it's there. Scripture then says in Psalm 39, verse 1, I, I want to paint a picture of the reality of that we're going through. Psalm 39, 1 says, I said, I will guard my way so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. In other words, I'm just going to keep the mouth shut. <laughs> like, I'm just going to cover it up because why? If I don't, what's going to happen, Rich? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just leads to problems. Uh, there's a, the classic quote everybody knows, loose lips sink ships. A famous phrase that came out after World War II, loose lips sink ships. And that's really what happens. And look at this image. Um, now let's just do another one. Go to Proverbs 26, 28, because there's just too many here. I want you to understand this thing causes problems. <laughs> Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth causes ruin. Oh, hey, you're looking, looking nice today. <laughs> that could cause ruin. Or, hey, I noticed you've lost some weight today. <laughs> a lying tongue hates us. Like, when you say these things and you have no intent of, like, anything with integrity, like, it causes major problems. And then you're like, why did I even say that? I don't know, Kevin. Is this Is this something that you at least on a weekly basis, have to deal with? Uh, I'd go daily. Okay, wonderful. Me too. <laughs> I just didn't want to impose it on you. But yes, absolutely. Uh, the tongue, according to uh, Warren Wearsby says, has immense power to speak sinfully. Listen to this. Erroneously and inappropriately. Now, in verse 3, 4, and 5, it gives you some illustrations. Now, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. Okay, and that's what Mindy has painted in here as well. Now, go to verse 4. Consider ships, those very large and driven by fierce winds. They're guided. Now, look at this. This is what's crazy. This little ship out here, there's a little little rudder. 
Okay, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So you literally have, and I like what Wearsby says, the power to direct, okay? And then obviously this is the bit in the rudder, right, that we're talking about here. The smallest thing can control everything. And that's really what we're talking about here in verse 5. It says, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. So that tongue, the little thing on your mouth, right? Small part of the body, it boasts great things. It has the power to great, uh, the power to power to direct. Now watch this. Here's another part. Not only does it have a power to direct, Wearsby says the tongue has a power to destroy. Okay, this is kind of an interesting one. And the references is here. Remember how I talked about there's six different images, six different pictures that we have. Here's two more, the fire and the animal. Look at this. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. I mean, just leave it at that right there. I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, Warren Wearsby gave this great illustration of the Chicago fire in October 8th, October 8th, 1871. Okay, think about this. The O'Leary barn at 8.30 at night caught on fire. A little, little fire at one barn on October 8th, 1871 destroyed 100,000 homes. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 300 people died in the city of Chicago. One fire at the O'Leary barn on October 8th, 1871 at 8.30 at night. Probably just this, oh, it's a fire of one barn. Cost the city of Chicago over $400 million. One little fire. When it says, consider how large a forest a small fire ignites... The tongue has the same power. It says in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is, un- is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body. So the tongue pollutes the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by, look at this, hell. <laughs> That's pretty drastic. The tongue is a fire. Because of the tongue's sinful words, I love what Wearsby says, it can spread destruction rapidly, or look at this, it can accompany smoke. Think of that. This accompanying smoke, those words can permeate, and then it just, after the fire, Kevin, it ruins everything. Our neighbor, uh, her house behind us, you know, I've alluded this a little bit, but she had a fire that took off. Some wires got crossed from uh, some folks uh, in town. And the next thing you know, praise the Lord, they weren't there in the house. They were in a hotel. Uh, but this fire caught up and destroyed their master bedroom on the second floor. Well, when you look at the house on the outside, the front, it's still there. It's still standing. But that one right part of their house is totally destroyed. You see some studs there. But the problem was, was the smoke. To get to the fire, the fire guys had to fire, uh, fires had to come in and take out the front door, Right. And then what happened? The smoke, after they put everything out, first of all, the water got everywhere to put out the fire. So then that was expensive. And then the smoke covered everything. I remember seeing the gentleman who, who lived in the house and I said, oh, hey, uh, you know, where did you get those clothes? Because I didn't know if he lost clothes. I didn't know all the extent. He said, well, this shirt was in the, in the laundromat, laundry, in the laundromat. So it was being dry cleaned. So I still had this. He said, but everything else was lost because of smoke damage. So the fire didn't cause it, but the smoke did. 
And I think that's what we don't fully understand about the power of tongue. You might say something, but then what does it do? It leads to ramifications that causes all kinds of other issues. The fire, the water, the smoke, the tongue can cause all kinds of problems. Kevin, can you go to Proverbs 26, verse 20, please? Proverbs 26, verse 20. It says, without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down, verse 21. It says, as charcoal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome, quarrelsome man for kindling strife. There's just some people that are just wired. I mean, we've been listening to the NFL lately. You know, there's just one player. What's so funny is you could listen to this message in five years, and I promise you there'll probably be another scenario just like this. One athlete runs his mouth, and then that leads to one team cutting him. That leads to another team cutting him. That leads to some team never saying, hey, I'm going to get, get involved. And then the next year he signs a contract, and then what happens? He does it again. And like it just, this quarrelsome man leads to constant, constant strife. The only thing I have as hope, the reality is, is that we all do this. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it as exempt. But if we want to look more like Christ, we need to understand we've got to control our tongue. We'll get into a little bit about the control, but the control only can come from Christ. It's kind of an interesting picture, Kevin. If you go back to James 3 for a second, I want you to go back to verse 6. Look at this. It says, it pollutes the whole body sets the course of life on fire and set on fire by hell. (laughs) MacArthur says this whole underscores that the tongue's evil can actually extend beyond the individual to impact everything in his sphere of influence. This is what we're already alluding to. But now watch this. This word hell. Kevin, according to this, it says it set the course of life on fire. So if you talk with evilness, you're setting your course of what? To walk down this path. You say it, you're going to walk into it. And then when you walk into it, It says you're going to be set on fire by hell. Whoa, hang in here. This Greek word, okay, means Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, okay? Here's what MacArthur says. In Christ's time, this valley that lay southwest, okay, of Jerusalem's walls served as the city dump, okay? And it was known for its constant burning fire. Jesus used that place, okay, Gehenna, valley of Hinnom, to symbolize the external place of punishment and torture. In Mark 9, he talks about this. Kevin, this isn't to scare anybody out of hell. Somebody's going to say, well, now we're talking about once saved, always saved, and now losing your salvation. Just hang in here, okay? I will tell you what it says. Your tongue leads to evilness, which then actually pollutes your whole body which then when you pollute your whole body, you're setting yourself on a different course than what God designed you to do. And the scripture says, if you keep walking down this path, it's set on fire by hell, which implies the enemy has a grasp on your walk with him. And I would just say, guys, we we can't play this game. Fire is a representation of the tongue. So is a bit, so is a rudder. But this power of the tongue can destroy things. Now watch this. It says even in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So now here we have this, this analogy, this picture of an animal. This is an interesting one. Every sea creature, so we're compared now. This tongue is compared to these animals. Creatures, uh, reptiles, birds, animals. It's tamed and is tamed by man, 
But no man, so do you see this comparison? Here's that same thing. But no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the animal. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Anybody ever had a cold sore on your tongue? They're the worst, aren't they? I mean, it's just like, I don't want to eat anything. Or you have even a cold sore on the side of your mouth, like those kind of things. But when it's on your tongue, it's miserable. (laughs) I just picture like evilness. This is really kind of weird and graphic. It's like evilness is literally sitting on your tongue, waiting for you to spew it out. It's just full of deadly poison. Your tongue has the power to direct and the power to destroy. Praise God. Only God and through his power can we control this thing. I was going to say, it'd be pretty depressing if James just stops there. Yeah, it'd be awful. If we stopped at verse 8, I'd be like, well, let's cut my tongue off. But then in verse 9, he paints a a delightful picture. Kevin, that was a cue to transition to verse 9. Not only is it the power to direct, the power to destroy, but the power to delight. So there's a positive to the tongue. And this is what he says. You have this image of a fountain and a tree. Verse 9 says, We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. The tongue does have the power to delight, though. We do have the power through him to actually praise our Lord. In fact, it says in verse 10, here's that comparison in praising and cursing. It comes out of the same mouth. Ah, I filtered. Like, it's a really bad visual, isn't it? It's like praising and pooping out of your mouth, right? I thought you said you filtered. (laughs) No, that's the clean version. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying, though? It's like, how can we do both? How can we talk about Jesus? I love you, Jesus, and then turn around, lose your anger, and then, like, get mad at somebody. It's the same thing. How does that come out of this thing? My brothers, these things should not be this way. Praise God, I agree. It says in verse 11, here's your analogy that he says. Does a spring, I thought, I thought you were going to use your filter. <laughs> Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Oh, kids, you should try this water fountain in the hallway. Like, here it is. And then how many of you love it when it squirts them in the face? You know, right? No, like, that's kind of the image. Like, you want the one that you know you're going to get expect that's sweet, but not the bitter, the one that gets you. You get the whole point. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Scripture then says, and you really see multiple images here, three images here. Can a fig produce olives, <laughs> my brothers? Or a grapevine produce figs? Nah, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Like, Kevin, the image is is that what you see is what you're going to get. Why is that not the case with mankind? I'm a believer in Jesus. Then why don't you sound like it? No, I, I, you didn't know I go to church? (laughs) No idea you went to church. Because you're spewing out curses. You're constantly producing olives and yet you're a fig tree. I don't understand this grapevine. Why is there figs? You say you're a Christian, but you don't have any fruit. That's what he's getting after here. And James 3, you guys, actually ties into James 2 incredibly. If you believe in this, you should produce what you believe in. Oh, I love the Lord. 
then go tell somebody about Jesus. I am not doing that. That's real biblical. That really sounds like James 3. I love you, Lord. Would you go tell him about me? No. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? The tongue has the power to direct this small little thing. The power to destroy, it could crush people, you guys. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody's words that they spoke to you 15 years ago? How many of you still think about some of those words? Just so you know, I believe the perfect law of freedom, which is our phrase, the perfect law. I believe Jesus can set you free from those. You don't have to live in that bondage anymore, but we've been hurt by words. We have hurt people by our words. But man, what if we had this approach that the tongue had the power to delight, the, pun- the tongue had the power to praise him. And, and may I even just add in there, like you could speak life into people. You imagine if you had one goal every day and that one goal was to speak encouragement into one person. You imagine if that was our approach in life, not to destroy anybody, but to praise God and praise them. That'd be awesome. So I love Mindy's image, this little, little thing in the mouth or this little, little rudder, even though things are hard, it can change the course of somebody's life. The scripture says in verse 13, who is wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. In other words, let me just say this, ask, ask the Lord. I mean, obviously there's a transition here and I like what MacArthur says. He makes a transition from discussing teachers and the tongue to now dealing with wisdom's impact on everybody's life. So now you're going from like the teacher mentality and what you speak into. Do you see how this, this references what teachers are to say? He now says, hey, look, but guys, we need to have we need to ask for wisdom on an everyday basis. Because he says in verse 14, this is really a heart issue. If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. And look at this one, demonic. Verse 16, and this is how we'll wrap up. I want to read 16, 17 and 18 for where envy and selfish ambition exist. There is disorder in every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above, and listen, Kevin, we talked about this. We're supposed to ask for wisdom in James 1. Why do we ask for wisdom? To get us through the waves and the seas, the trials, the tribulations, because of who we are in Christ. And when you don't know how to get through this, when you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to take the next step, ask him. And the wisdom that God gives you, this is how you know it's from the Lord. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's gentle, it's compliant, it's full of mercy and good fruits. And here he ties in without favoritism again and hypocrisy. Like you will not see any of these things. You will not see favoritism. You will not see hypocrisy. You will see good fruits. You'll see full of mercy. You'll see it's compliant, gentle, peace-loving, and you will see that it's, <clears throat> that it's peace-loving. And then in verse 18, he kind of puts it all together. He's like, look, these are how you say things, and this is how you can walk it out, but it still has to come from him. And when it comes from him, it says, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. You will see this this fruit of righteousness. It goes back to James 2 again. It's fruit that comes from faith, fruit that comes from salvation, fruit that comes from justification in Christ. You will begin to walk these things out and actually have a carrier. You'll be a carrier of 
is peace. You'll pursue peace. You'll make peace. You will represent the Prince of Peace. And all of this says, God, I need more of you for what I say and what I do. Because when you have faith in him, you'll walk it out. You'll sound like him. You'll look like him. And honestly, that's why I love the book of James. It's a picture of following Christ when you're in full freedom with him. All right, guys, this is James 3. We'll continue our study tomorrow with James 4. Thanks. Thanks.